All right. Well, good morning again. And uh, I am sure right now that there are a number of our members who are watching the service on the simulcast. So good morning. There's the camera. Good morning to you. All right. We are uh, glad to be worshiping together this morning. Uh, thankful for everyone that came. You know, we've been seeking to balance, and we will continue to seek to balance the biblical priorities of gathering as, as often as we can with our church family and loving our neighbor well through uh, times. And, and, and we all have people in our lives, whether it's yourself or someone else, that, that could be more greatly affected by something like uh, a virus that's going around than, than others. And so we want to love people well, continue to pray for wisdom and discernment in this. Um, but we are glad to be together this morning. Have you ever noticed how new believers tend to be extremely zealous in their faith? Um, you know, someone that just has come to Christ, that they, they, they tend to want to share the gospel uh, a lot more, give their testimony. They, they're excited about being a Christian, excited about the Lord. What, why is that? Well, what's going on there? I think one of the major reasons is because they're so aware of their former life. Like, like, their, their former life is so fresh, uh, so recent. Their experience of God's grace is so new. They, they are so aware of who they were and what they've been saved from that it gives them this deep sense of gratitude to God and excitement for sharing their testimony with others. You know, there have been times where I almost wished I got saved later in life so I could have been more aware of who I was and see, had that passion. But, you know, I realized this week in Ephesians 2 that we don't need to be new believers to experience this. You don't need to be a new believer or a recent convert to experience something of that passion, something of that, that gratitude, something of that desire. You simply need to take the time to remember well who you were apart from Christ. Any believer that takes the time to remember what God's Word says about our former life can experience that gratitude in a, in a profound way. And this is what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 2. Over the next few weeks in our series, One in Christ, we'll be studying Ephesians 2. And in this chapter of Ephesians, Paul is helping the believers to remember who they were. He, he's helping them to remember their former life, remember their former situation, in order that they would appreciate and respond to all that God has done for them by His grace in Christ. And my prayer for us as a church family in these next few messages is that the Holy Spirit would so equip our minds and engage our hearts that we also would remember well our former situation. Familiar verses for most of us this morning, but, but praying that we would remember well our former situation, that, that God would give us true illumination in our hearts about these verses, and, and that through remembering our former situation, we would also grow in our gratitude for the grace of God, and we would live with greater passion for His glory. I believe that's what Paul wants to see in the Ephesians as he writes. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants us to remember well who we were and what our situation was apart from Christ, so that we can grow in our thankfulness and passion for the Lord. And so this morning we're going to focus specifically on our former situation before God saved us. And our text is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. In, in this passage we're going to see three different facets of our former situation apart from Christ. Three things that we need to remember well about who we were before God saved us. And so let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This passage shows us three things about our former situation apart from Christ. Three things that we need to remember about our lives before God saved us. And the first thing we see is our former condition. Our former condition. Look again at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What was our condition before God saved us, church? Paul puts it bluntly, doesn't he? We were dead. We weren't just sick. We weren't even just mostly dead, right? We were dead dead. We we were dead as a doornail dead. The, The human condition apart from Christ is one of death. Now someone might hear that and say, you know, I don't think I was dead. I don't remember ever dying before. I think I've always been alive. And of course, physically speaking, that's exactly right. So what what does Paul mean here when he says that we were dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once walked? What does he mean in in saying you were dead? Now, there's a couple things he could mean. He could mean something like you were as good as dead, or or you were a dead man walking. You know, if someone has a uh, a terminal diagnosis and they know there's no recovery possible, you you might say that you're a dead man walking. And what they mean is you, you actually are alive, but death is coming. Death's inevitable. He could have meant that. You were dead. You were headed for death. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. He he specifically says, you were dead. You were dead. And I think he's speaking of a very real death, a very real form of death. It's not physical death. He's speaking of spiritual death. If you think back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, God instructed Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he gave him that instruction, he warned him, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. In Genesis 3, they did eat the fruit. They disobeyed God. But did they physically die on that day? No. By the grace of God, they did not physically die. But does this mean that that God's word in Genesis 2 was false? I don't think so. It doesn't. Because when they transgressed God's command and sinned against him, they did die that day. They died spiritually that day. They became, as our text says today, dead in sin. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which they walked. Because of their sin, they died spiritually. And when you think about death, what is death? Death is separation from life, essentially. Death is what we call it when someone is no longer alive. And when they sinned, they were separated from God, who is the source of life. And so when they sinned, because of their sin, this separation from their creator, from the source of life, entered in and rendered them absolutely powerless to do anything about it. Because of their sin, they died spiritually. This is what it means to be dead in sin. It means to be separated from God, who is the source of life. And it means to be unable to do anything about that state of separation. You are are separated from him. And you can't do anything about it. You're powerless to do anything about it. 
And we need to remember this morning, this was our condition. Like This was our condition apart from Christ. This is the condition of every person in the world since Adam. Every human apart from Christ is spiritually dead, separated from the source of life, unable to do anything about it. Now, if we're in Christ, then we know this is no longer true. God has saved us from that. But this morning, here's what we need to do as we think about what this passage is saying To really get at what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 2, here's what we need to do. We need to think about how understanding who we were should shape our understanding of what God has done. That's what Paul, that's the connection he wants us to make. Not just just remembering the fact that we were dead, but but then thinking, what does that have to do with with the fact that God saved me and how he saved me? So, So think about it. If we were spiritually dead, what does this mean in terms of our salvation? It means that we couldn't have contributed anything to it, right? If we were dead, then that means that we had no ability whatsoever to bring anything to the table. It wasn't a 50-50 deal. It wasn't even a 99% God's work, 1% our work kind of thing. No, we were separated from the source of life and were unable to do anything about it. As John Stott says, we were as unresponsive to God as a corpse because we were dead. This was our former condition. We were dead, and therefore, we could do nothing to save ourselves. The second thing we need to remember about our former situation is our former lifestyle. Our former lifestyle. So our former condition is that we were spiritually dead. What about our former lifestyle? What kind of life did we lead? Read with me in the beginning of verse 2. It says, The sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So what kind of life did we lead before God saved us? First thing Paul says is that we were followers of this world. We were followers of this world. You know, in the world of fashion, there are trendsetters and trend followers. Okay, so when I lived in Chicago, I could really see this dynamic play out. When I first got to my school as a freshman, all the men on campus basically wore what I'm wearing right now. I I never followed the trend. But an untucked button-down shirt, basically normal jeans, right? But by the time I left, by the time I graduated, all the men basically wore, you know, fashion scarves with skinny jeans. It was just, and somewhere on the line, someone started to do that. I don't know who started it, but everyone followed once once they did that. Everyone followed that trend. This is kind of what you see in the world. As people, a new thing comes and everyone just does that thing and then, and then it's not in anymore, Right? Well, here's the thing that Paul's telling us, is that we were never trendsetters in this world. We were always followers. We were always followers. We, We didn't do our own thing. We didn't go our own way. We have always been followers of the world. We just did what everyone around us was doing. We talked like they talked. We bought what they bought. We pursued what they pursued. We valued what they valued. We followed where they went. We fit perfectly in a world that lives in outright rebellion to God. This this is who we were. We fit in perfectly with the rebellious world. 
We, we, we didn't go the other way. We, we were right with the world in chasing headlong after rebellion, chasing headlong after sin. We were followers of the world, following the course of this world. But Paul says further, we weren't just following the world, we were following the devil. Now, this may surprise us this morning, that we were following the devil. And we might think, like, I thought only people that were demon-possessed or Satan worshippers followed the devil. No, Paul says that all of us before Christ were followers of the devil. Look, he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this phrase, the prince of the power of the air, is a way to describe Satan. The, the, the demonic realm was, was really just envisioned in this time as existing in the air, between heaven and earth, this third sphere, this third realm, this third spiritual realm where, where demons lived. And Satan, as the ruler of demons, is the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about the devil here, and he, he says that Satan is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the sons of disobedience is is just a phrase to refer to unbelievers, those who are so characterized by sin that they're like sons of disobedience. And he's saying those sons of disobedience, Satan is at work in them, and he was at work in you. You followed him, and he was at work in you. So here's, here's what Paul's saying. Before God saved us, we were willing followers of Satan. And he influenced us to follow him. It's not just Satan worshippers. It's not just demon-possessed. It's, it's actually all unbelievers that included us. And, and, and to think about this, just think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like them, we have listened to the great tempter and the great deceiver. Opened ourselves up to his influence. Allowed him to make us question the word of God. This, this is how we lived. We allowed Satan to make us question the word of God. At, the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience, influencing us, and then, and then we decided we're going to follow him. That, that, that is who we were. Remember, Satan is absolutely opposed to God, so we, we were following the enemy. We, we were following the one who hates God. We followed his destructive guidance. It's the same. Satan never gave us any, any good instruction or any good guidance. He wants to kill and destroy and to steal. Yet we followed him. We followed the world. We followed the devil. But that's not all. Paul says that we also followed our own sinful desires. He says the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who, those who disobey God, among whom we all once lived. So we were all sons of disobedience. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You see those phrases, the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. This is so important for us to see this morning. Okay. Up, up to this point, we followed the world, we followed the devil. We could say that we were just victims of external influences. You know, kind of like a parent that, that when their kid goes the wrong direction, they say, he's, he's a good kid, he just got mixed up in the wrong crowd. We could, we, we could say that about ourselves. We were, we were good people who just got mixed up in the wrong crowd, just got mixed up with the world, got mixed up with the devil. But no, that's not what he says. He says that we were carrying out the passions, our passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of our bodies and our minds. 
Why did we follow the world? Why did we follow Satan? Because we were living according to our own passions and desires. We followed these things because we wanted to follow them. Just like Adam and Eve, they were not victims in the garden of Satan's temptation. He tempted them. He influenced them. But they saw the fruit. And they saw that it looked good. And that it was desirable. And so they followed Satan because they wanted to sin. The temptation was so powerful because they wanted what it was promising. We desired to transgress God's commands. We longed to satisfy the evil passions of our hearts. The world and the devil are true external influencers, but we willingly follow them because they promised us the satisfaction of our sinful cravings. This means that we were never victims, we were perpetrators. We sinned because we wanted to sin. This is who we were, and it's who all people are apart from Christ. Whenever someone comes to Christ, they need at some point to recognize, no, I've not just been beat up by a broken world. I've not just been, been, been influenced by the devil, but I have carried out the desires of my sinful flesh in rebellion against God. I am a sinner because I wanted to sin. And again, let's think about how this should impact our understanding of salvation. So Paul's saying, this is who you were. This is your former condition. This is your former lifestyle. How does that impact how we think about what happened to us when we were saved? What we need to realize is, is that this means that we didn't actually want to be saved. None of us wanted to be saved. Left to ourselves, we did not want God. We wanted sin. We wanted the world. We wanted to go the other way. We weren't sitting longingly for God to do something. We were going the other direction. We were so foolish. Left to ourselves, we would have chosen our sin over salvation every time. And this is so important to understand for those who ultimately don't believe and are not saved, is that they did not want God. They want their sin. They want to be away from Him. They do not want Him. And this was who we were too. We did not want him. This was our former lifestyle. This was our former experience. We wanted to satisfy our sinful desires, so we followed the world and we followed the devil, seeking to satisfy our own cravings. So we were dead in our sin. That's our former condition. We, we followed the world. We followed the devil. We followed our sinful desires. That's our former lifestyle. And this leads to the third thing that we need to remember this morning is our former predicament. Our former predicament. Look at the end of verse 3. He says, And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What was our former predicament? What was really the primary problem that we were facing? It's that we were children of wrath. Now, there are a few things we need to see here. First, Paul says that we were children of wrath by nature. By nature. This this little two-word phrase, by nature, could be translated by birth. Originally, we, we were children of wrath just as we were. In other words, what he's saying is that we were all born already deserving God's wrath. It wasn't my first sin that made me deserving of his wrath. 
It was the fact that I was born inherently a sinner. That makes me deserving of God's wrath. It's not, it's not like we're, we don't deserve it until that first act of disobedience, and then, then we become objects of wrath. No, this is saying that we were by nature children of wrath. And listen, this is a hard truth to understand. Because we're born having not done anything, right? But before we decide to reject it or to say it's not fair, we just need to consider that we don't want to ever read our Bible from an evaluative stance. We don't come to the Word of God and, and come trying to discern, do we like what we're reading or not? Do we understand what we're reading or not? And do we accept it or not? We come ready to submit to the Word of God, trusting the character of God. If we don't read the Bible that way, then we're going to end up just making a God in our own image, adopting our own brand of Christianity that fits exactly what we think being a Christian should be about. We don't want to do that this morning. So, so if, Now, if I'm off base in my interpretation, then by all means reject it. But if this is what the Bible actually teaches, that we are all born children of wrath, and that that means that we are all born already deserving God's wrath, then, then we need to trust the Lord's character and submit to this. And, and I do believe this is what the Bible teaches. This verse, again, very clear that we are by nature children of wrath, but there's a few other verses that we can point to. In the Old Testament, we see Psalm 51.5, David Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, David isn't saying that he was brought forth out of a sinful relationship. He's not saying he was brought forth out of some sort of adulterous relationship. He's saying that he was brought forth as a sinner, that he was sinful from birth. This is what David is saying in his confession of his sin to the Lord. I've always been a sinner, God. And in the New Testament, we see Romans 5, 18 and 19. Paul says there, Adam's trespass led to condemnation for all men. Adam's disobedience. By Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam's trespass led to condemnation for all men. By Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. What that's telling us is that in the garden, when Adam and Eve took that root, by that one act, by that original couple, all men came under a state of condemnation. All who had ever come after them were condemned because of Adam's act of sin in the garden. By that act, all men were made sinners. We were made to be sinners. In this passage, Paul's teaching that what Adam did affected us all. By his sin, we were all made sinners, and we were all held liable to condemnation because of his sin. Now, the Bible also teaches that we will be condemned for our sins as well. But we were born children of wrath. The Bible clearly teaches that we are all born sinners and are by nature deserving of the wrath of God. And here's really where, this, where we understand this best. We don't become sinners when we sin. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We need to understand the difference. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is in our nature. And because we are inherently sinners, we are, by nature, children of wrath. This leads us to the second thing we need to see in this phrase, and that is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The Bible not only teaches that we are inherently sinners, it also teaches that God is a righteous judge of sin. That God is a holy God who hates sin. When we think about the wrath of God, we shouldn't think of wrath as as if God 
flies off the handle in uncalculated anger, as if God is is this just just decides to to torture people. No, it is His holy and righteous judgment of sin. It is His right and fitting response as a righteous judge to the evil that we commit. His his wrath against sin is perfectly fitting. It's perfectly fitting for the crime, for the evil. And the biblical portrait of this wrath is truly terrifying. I mean, Jesus described the experience of the wrath of God using the term hell, which pictured a place of fire that never burnt out. Just this never-ending fire. Revelation picks up on that and describes to us the eternal lake of fire. Those who are judged are described as, as, as being tread on as grapes in the winepress of God's fury. Forever and ever. Judgment is described as a place of never-ending darkness, never-ending weeping, never-ending gnashing of teeth. And once someone has experienced that for a billion years, they will realize that I'm not any closer to the end of this than I was when it first began. Now here's the thing. These are all images. They're all metaphors trying to, trying to help us picture this. Why do we use metaphors? We use metaphors to try and help each other grasp what we're talking about. But here's the thing. If the metaphors for hell and judgment and wrath are terrifying, how much more terrifying is the actual experience of the wrath of God going to be? Hebrews tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We were by nature children of wrath. This is who we were apart from Christ. This was our predicament. This is who all people are, children of wrath who deserve eternal conscious punishment for sin. And again, let's think about how this affects our view of salvation, our view of what God has done for us. If we are by nature children of wrath, then what this means is that we don't actually deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be saved. We deserve only wrath. We deserve God's righteous and holy judgment for our sin. There's nothing in us that merits salvation. This is our former predicament. We were children of wrath who didn't deserve salvation. And so let's put all this together now. Okay, so here's our former condition. We were dead in sin, and we couldn't save ourselves. Our former lifestyle, we were followers of this world and the devil and our desires, and we didn't want to be saved. Our former predicament, we were children of wrath who don't deserve to be saved. Do you see that those three things we... We couldn't save ourselves, we didn't want to be saved, and we don't deserve to be saved. This is what our former life teaches us. And put it all together, and our former situation is clear. We were hopelessly lost in sin. We were hopelessly lost in sin. We weren't just lost and maybe we could have found our way out. No, hopelessly lost. Dead, going the other way, deserving of judgment. And this is what makes Paul's next words so astounding. We're just going to get a glimpse of them this week. He says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
in light of our former situation, church, we need to behold our salvation this morning. We were dead in our sin, but God made us alive. We were following this world and the devil and our desires, but God literally snatched us off the path of self-destruction. We were born deserving his wrath, but God poured out his love on us. We were hopelessly lost in sin, but God has saved us by his grace. By his grace, he saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. By his grace, he saved us when we didn't want to be saved. By his grace, he saved us when we didn't deserve to be saved. By grace, we have been saved. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let this truth move you to this simple response. Give thanks to God for saving you from your former situation and for placing you in the situation you are in today. That's what this needs to do for us this morning. We need to be moved to new, profound thanksgiving to God for taking us from this situation, from this hopelessly lost situation, and by His grace, giving us hope, giving us life, giving us Christ. We need to let the remembrance of our former life apart from Christ lead us to rejoice in our new life in Christ this morning. We need to let the reminder of our past hopelessness move us to great love for this God who intervened and saved us by His grace. Maybe the simplest way to put it is, church, do not forget who you were. Do not forget who you were. Do not forget your former life. Think of it often. Think of it often. Think of who you were regularly so that you can remember well what God has done for you. Now there are some here today, maybe some watching, maybe some children who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And we all know those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that what this passage is telling us is that our former situation is still their current situation. Right now, dead in sin and unable to do anything about it. Right now, following the course of this world, following the destructive guidance of Satan, following their sinful desires. Right now, deserving of the wrath of God. This is the true testimony of the Word of God about all who are not in Christ, all who are not believing in Him. But if you, if you are listening right now as an unbeliever, what's also true is that you are hearing this. And, and by His grace, God is showing you how hopelessly lost you are in your sin. And if we take this message into the world, this, 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 this bad news, this offensive news, we realize that God is opening people's eyes to see their situation. And God is calling people by His grace to turn from sin and turn to Him be saved by placing their faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. As we, as we think about the lost in this passage, whether you are hearing this today as a lost person, or whether you're a believer who knows someone who's lost in your life, we need to understand that we, we need to see and, and embrace what God says about, about the current situation, the situation we are all born into, like the rest of mankind is what he says. Among whom we all once lived is what he says. This is for all of us. 
God is calling us to turn from sin and turn to him and be saved by placing our faith in Jesus and to, and to bring that message to those who are lost. Now, this salvation, as we, as we think about, again, this, this saved by grace, we are saved by grace. We need to understand that this is not something we could have earned. Grace, by very nature, is a gift that has to be received. But this morning, I also want us to see that this free gift is still costly. God's grace is not God ignoring our sins. God's grace is not God just brushing our sins under the rug. No, God's grace comes by him sending his son to bear our sins for us. God's grace is costly. Listen, this is the human condition. We are all dead in sin, but Jesus Christ came and died for our sins on the cross so that by the grace of God we can have eternal life. He takes those who were dead in sin, and by dying for us, he makes us alive. This is the human experience. This is the life we lived. We were all followers of this world, followers of Satan, followers of our sinful desires. But Jesus Christ came and he followed the will of God. He followed the will of his Father to lay down his life for us, so that now, by God's grace, we can become followers of him. This is the human predicament. We all face the wrath of God. We were all children of wrath. But Jesus Christ came, and he placed himself under that wrath. He, he fully absorbed the wrath of God. He fully absorbed it so that we who are in him will never taste a drop of that wrath. You know, Christian, we will never know the wrath of God because Jesus drank it for us down to the dregs. And so as we think about who we were, we think about the fact that God saved us, let us remember this morning that this came in Christ. This amazing grace came to us in Christ, in the cross, in the death of the one who bore our sin and bore God's wrath in our place. We were hopelessly lost in our sin, but God has saved us by his grace in Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate that and let's make that known to a world that is still hopelessly lost in their sin. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and and we want to recognize, Lord, who we were. We want to remember who we were. We, we, we so often live our days just not even thinking about these things, not even thinking about what our former condition was. And we thank you that you've inspired uh, a text of Scripture for us to look at and for us to remember God. Lord, even as we sing, I pray that you would work this into our hearts in such a way that we feel the weight of our former hopelessness. And also because of that, we feel the, the amazing wonder of your love for us, of the cross of Christ, of your grace toward us, Lord. Please work your will through this word in our hearts as we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.